Hello, my lovelies. You are now listening to The Vow, Voice of Women. The intention of this podcast is to empower women through sharing of real life stories. We have a fab lineup of inspiring, kick-ass, real, dedicated women. We're going to get down and dirty. What has made these women successful? What makes them tick? How do they handle conflict? And what might they eat in a day? So here we go. Tracy Button. Tracy, thank you so much for coming in. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm very excited to have Tracy here today. Tracy is a philanthropist, a mom, a wife, a giver, a giver of many things that we're going to chat about. And I'm just honored to have Tracy here. She has a very moving, a very unique story um, that she's going to share with us that I think will impact a lot of people, even if you cannot personally relate to it. Um, and you may, you may be going through something similar. And, uh, I had the opportunity to just chat with Tracy before we started and her vulnerability is commendable. And so I'm just so thankful that you are here today. So let's hop into it. Tracy, your family has very deep roots, um, in our city and in Canada. Tell us about your family's history and how you arrived in, in our city and our country. Uh, well, my Family is seven generations now in Canada, wow. uh, emigrated from uh, England in the 1800s, and the family was established in Ontario, um, and my great-great-grandfather actually started um, and established uh, Seagram's, Joseph E. Seagram's and Son, the distilling company. Um, it's it's an interesting family history and we're incredibly lucky to have had family members who have been interested in preserving some of the history so we have photographs that date back to the mid 1800s i have letters handwritten dating i think the oldest one is 1858 um we have um bottles of alcohol that were um, sort of first off the production line after my great-great-grandfather bought out his partners and really established the company to um, become what it is today. So there seems to be some alcohol in not only in your like <laughs> far, far history, but even today, yeah. it's, it's just, it just keeps going. <laughs> well, the joke is it skips a generation because my father was not in the business, but both my sister and I have interests in alcohol. So my husband actually was one of the founding partners of uh, Village Brewery. Yes. And my sister and her husband actually own a, are in partnership in a gin distillery in Tasmania, Australia. Wow, yes. so you must have great family get-togethers. <laughs> like we the, do. The Seagrams, the Buttons, it must be pretty wild. It is, it's fun. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's it's great. A, it's a big band of misfits. Oh my gosh. Well, seven generations, I mean, that has to be very rare um, to be a part of a family like that in, in Canada. Um, wow, I'm just like, that's a long time. It is, and... Um... We actually have a, a central sort of gathering spot in the summer. Uh, we all have cottages in Ontario. And so every summer, with the exception of this past one, uh, we get together for a golf tournament. And so whoever's available actually comes. And sometimes we're well over 100. And wow. it's 
different branches of the family. So I just think that is such a gift for all of us to be able to gather together. It certainly is. And do you think that your children will be able to continue that tradition? Absolutely. Um, I, they know cousins well and uh, do have that connection. So I believe they'll carry it on for generations to come. Oh, that's wonderful. So uh, you are married to Mr. Jim Button. I am. And you have two children, and I'm going to um, ask you about them in a moment. But what did you do um, in your earlier years prior to meeting and marrying Jim and having your family? Um, I have been blessed. I've just had the most amazing career. Um, I, my background actually is in fashion and merchandise design. And so uh, I started my early career on in ski wear locally. And that was sort of a springboard for me to actually become involved with an Olympic outfitting company, and originally as a designer, but then as the director of merchandising. So I traveled the world designing and producing apparel for the Olympic sponsor family. Oh my gosh. And how many, so what, what years did those span? Uh, well, I started uh, initially with the Olympics in a different capacity. I was a VIP hostess when we had the, the Olympics here in 88, but that just gave me a bit of a taste. And so my first games actually were in Nagano in, I think it was 96. And uh, subsequently everyone until uh, Salt Lake, which was 2002. And then I continued on consulting for a period of time, but... After the Salt Lake Games, I had two young children and traveling internationally with caregivers and setting up every other year, uh, it was difficult. And so I really wanted my children to have a strong foundation and roots down in, in a community. So that's when I chose to step back. And so tell us, how did you meet Jim? <laughs> I traveled through Europe, um, actually after working as a VIP hostess um, with the games. And I met a girl from Ontario named Christina Keith. And we became friends. I would see her every summer Then when I went back to the family cottage. And uh, one fall, she called me saying, I've got a friend moving to Calgary. Do you mind if I introduce him to you? And I said, no. And that was Jim. That was Jim. Mm -hmm. And how many years have you been married? We just celebrated our 23rd wedding anniversary in Aww. August. And you have two kids, and they are uh, how old? Uh, Jack, our eldest, is 21, and our daughter, Amanda, is 19. And they're often in school, in college and university. They are. They're both uh, away. Jack is in London, Ontario at Western, and Amanda is in Halifax at Dalhousie. Oh, wow. You must be proud. I am. Yeah. I'm thrilled for yeah. them. Well, uh, so you had this big career, you met the man of your dreams, you have two children, um, and then in the last six or seven years, you've had a change in your life, and it's been a pretty significant change, and share with us um, that change and the journey that you're on. Uh, Jim uh, was feeling unwell about six and a half years ago, and he went for some tests, and uh, they discovered that he had um, a hot appendix that needed to be removed, but they also discovered that he had a very large tumor on his left kidney. Um, so he had two surgeries, one to remove the appendix, one to remove the kidney. And at that point, we felt like we'd won the lottery because they said, because we've removed the kidney and there has been no spread, um, he doesn't require any further treatment. So 
truly, um, we spent the next 18 months feeling like the luckiest people on the planet. Unfortunately, um, as a measure after having that initial diagnosis and kidney removal, they did need to x-ray him every six months. Um, and so after his third x-ray, um, so 18 months later, they did discover that it had metastasized to his lungs. And the diagnosis at that point was that it was terminal. And um, he was asked to choose a treatment to go on. At that point, he had two options. So he chose one. And um, I, I had to ask the question in that meeting, you know, how long does he need to be on treatment? And they said for the rest of his life. And I sat there thinking, and I, I finally had to ask. And I looked at the oncologist and I said, what does that mean? And uh, he looked at Jim and he said, do you want to know? And Jim said, yes, I do. Um, after some consideration, and he said, well, statistically, you have 12 to 24 months to live. And so it's, it, it's so shocking. Um, and then you know, concluding the meeting with him, he said, you do need to get your affairs in order. And I think those are, those are words that you only ever um, hear when you're watching a movie. Mm -hmm. And so it takes a long time to process and get through the shock and the initial grief that follows a diagnosis like that. When you left that doctor's office that day and you got into your car together, what, what is that like? Like, what do you, do you say anything? Was anything discussed? Are you just in shock and there's silence? Like, what is that? A lot of shock and silence. Um, we actually did drive over to my parents' house and we told them the news. And so we spent a bit of time and there were a few teary moments there. And then we went home and Jim had been remarkably quiet. And, um, but, you know, I just asked him, what are you thinking? And he said, I just need to go and lie down and process all of that, this. Because he was a bit devoid of emotion at that point in time. And so it was only, I think, when he sort of stopped and took a moment that it really um, sunk in and uh, it, it takes a while to get over that yeah I, I don't think you ever get over with get over that diagnosis I think what you do is learn how to live with it yes yeah and how did you tell your children um, we chose to be very open and forthright with them with everything that was going on um, we did it in a way that we felt was age appropriate, um, but we felt it was, um, I, I think children are remarkably bright and intuitive, and I think to not um, honor their capabilities and not share with them what was going on, they would have known something was going on because you are not your yourself at times like that. So. We did sit down and tell them, and um, we've been very open and shared as much information as we feel uh, they needed or um, could handle as we've gone through the process. So you've been in this journey for, is it just over six years now? Six and a half years. Six yeah. and a half years. And how has your journey changed from, say, the day that you found out that Jim had terminal cancer from when you told your kids? What's happened in the last five years? Uh, um, no two days are the same. Um, Jim has, has been on six different treatments. 
He has been hospitalized countless times. We have almost lost him um, due to complications, I would guess probably close to 15 times. Um, Two times very close. Um, You know, one where he was in the hospital and they said to him, do you think we should call your wife? It was the middle of the night. And he said, no, I don't want to worry her which I, I I later told him that, that I didn't feel that that was the right thing to do. Call me! <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I said, that's not your choice. Please let yes. me make that decision. Yes. Um, it, it's, it's honestly, it is just always um, setting a course and adjusting as need be, dependent upon what the conditions are in that day. So each day is different. It is. It's probably and hard to plan. It is, and that's, uh, we live in a developed nation where we live thinking forward. Mm -hmm. Uh, We very often don't live in the moment. We always live thinking, what am I doing tomorrow? What's on my agenda next week? So for us to slow down and live each day and take what is thrown at us has been a real education. Mm -hmm. And so... um, Jim, uh, very involved in a brewery here in town. And uh, so how had, when, when did he step back from that? Or has he stepped back from that? He had to step back. Okay. Um, so we have been blessed with having very good insurance. Um, so he had short-term and long-term disability, um, which has kept our family financially whole, which has been the most remarkable gift. Mm-hmm. Um, so he was able to step back at a time where he was really unwell and going in and out of the hospital so he could really just focus on um, his needs at that time. Uh, it was incredibly difficult for him. He, um, Village Brewery has been a real passion project for him. He always wanted to have a uh, brewery and so for him to step away from it and to step away from um, his part at the brewery with all of the community involvement was just heartbreaking for mm-hmm. him. And when did he step back from that? It's almost three years now. Okay, it's been three years. Mm-hmm. I I remember Jim had come to speak to my EO forum. It was probably, oh, I'm going to say it was probably two and a half, three years, so maybe just in and around that time. And I remember seeing him and he was so, you know, upbeat and positive and happy and I'm like he he doesn't seem like he's sick Mm -hmm. you know like he's just he looked like he was in great shape his color was great like he just looked like a guy on the street well he is buoyed by the human race (laughs) any any opportunity to sort of um, connect with people really is soul food for him well and what little I know of both of you you're both uh, givers you um give back to your family, to your community through philanthropy. Tell us a little bit about that and where that comes from. I think it's just our ethos. I think I've been very lucky to have been brought up uh, in a family where philanthropy is first and foremost. I think personally, um, there's a there's a saying that as a mother, you're only um, as happy as your least happy child. And I, I firmly believe that um, about our community as well. I think we've, Jim and I and our children have been incredibly fortunate in our lives and I think we have a lot to give others who have not been as fortunate. And so it, it is about collective wellness. And uh, I, from what I've read, you have started uh, a non-for-profit. Can you tell us about that? 
we we actually were asked to step up and to sort of um, Jim was initially tapped to um, be the face of an initiative raising funds for pediatric psychosocial oncology and survivorship. It's <laughs> wow, taken that's me a, a mouthful. It is. It took me a very long time to get that down. Um, but he felt it, the journey isn't one person when you're dealing with cancer. It's it is. A community of supports and so he wanted uh, the family involvement um, he is still the figurehead and does the majority of the communication with the organization but we stepped up to um, help raise funds to establish initially it was a chair but we have had to pivot with regards to the um, change in the economy and with the global pandemic so we are now we've actually started the research we're getting a person in place um, just to make sure that we provide as much support as we can through these times mm -hmm. um, so we were looking at it in a down chair but now what we're doing is we're funding the actual research so we have five full years of funding to do research and we will continue to raise funds during that time um, because it would be nice to ensure that that uh, position will will live on. Wow, and so when you start something like this, um, it must be like a like a, just a really huge commitment. I mean, if you say you're going to do something like that, I always say, you know, to, to myself, if someone, if I'm going to say yes to something, I have to say no to something else to, to kind of fill in that void. And so when you took on this commitment, um, you did you understand the the commitment that it was has it been a lot for you um what does that look like from a time perspective um we have been so incredibly lucky um with the community that supports us because we stepped up to this we have had people we had a fabulous fundraiser almost a year ago um, at hotel arts and um it was a concert um, put on by Bank, which is uh, a group of artists who have set a goal to raise, um, I believe it was $10 million over a period of time. And so they took on our charity um, and held, um, essentially it was a dress rehearsal at Hotel Arts for a concert they put on. Um, for other fundraising opportunities and so we benefited we had uh, you know Sass Jordan at the concert amongst a number of others and um, all of our friends stepped up and uh, we raised uh, I believe $127,000 that night pretty good. and more money came in subsequently so um, it is it is not just us it is the efforts of many so um, I I just feel incredibly lucky to mm -hmm. have or to be established in a community that is so giving and mm -hmm. so caring to, of towards one another mm -hmm. well that is a true giver and philanthropist they give the credit to others <laughs> um, so tell us uh, with this journey and and Jim being ill how I mean at the best of times even without a pandemic um, it, you know, I can only imagine how difficult it was. How has the pandemic um, changed or impacted your lives with someone who is so immune compromised? How have you pivoted with your day to day? Because you, you really must have to think of um, who you see, where you can go. So tell us about living with someone that is terminal during these times. 
Uh, <laughs> we use a lot of hand sanitizers and go through a lot of masks. Um, and we do, we have really adjusted. Um, Jim does not go out um, very often. He chooses to connect with people socially by going for walks outdoors. Um, and one of the things that he was he was told is the more active you can remain, the better you will be. And so connecting with people and going for a walk in our beautiful neighborhood has been very beneficial for him. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that has been um, his social outlet. But it is, it's, it's a big change. Um, and we just do our best to keep him safe. And I, I do worry too um, if, if I am the healthier of the two at this point in time, I don't want to compromise my health because I consider my children and I, I would like them to have a parent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you, you know, um, have to really think about what you do on a day-to-day basis and who you're seeing and the groups of people that you surround yourself with. Do you have like a, like a bubble family or a bubble friend or? <laughs> you know what? We honestly are pretty. Um, like I said, we do connect socially. I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm meeting in a friend's backyard um, to have a glass of wine on Friday. Ooh. <laughs> With yes. your mitts and toque? Yeah, and our long down coats. Oh, I and love it. <laughs> CBC did this piece on puffy chic, and it's all about our down coats, and I think so that's true. what we're all experiencing these days. Yeah, these uh, these uh, big coat companies are going to do well in, uh, in Canada this winter, for uh, sure. Absolutely. <laughs> Uh, Tracy, share with us what brings you joy, because I I can only imagine as a wife of somebody who is ill, uh, terminally ill, um, a lot of your energy uh, goes into loving and taking care of that person and keeping that person safe. So what can you share with our listeners and how do you keep um, your A-game on? How do you keep joy in your life uh, during these times with Jim? I honestly think um, practicing gratitude is essential to remaining well during times like these. And it is, some days are very difficult, but you have to um, have an awareness about what is good in your life. And for me, um, I find joy in so many places. Uh, I mean, really where I find joy is in life. It is walking on a cold winter's day and seeing a beautiful snowflake. It, I've, I've been accused of being very Pollyanna, but I, I am an optimist and I do, I do find joy everywhere. Um, I, I mean, my family is my greatest joy in life and their well-being and caring for them, um, similarly for friends and community. And so with that, with finding, you know, maybe the more simplistic things in life bringing you joy, you know, whether, like you said, going through a walk and seeing a snowflake, um, do you have, you must have a really good um, close-knit group of girlfriends or friends that you lean on and call before the podcast we just mentioned, you know, you've kind of gone through some grieving and some preparation, uh, you know, for with Jim and the process and so is there somebody and a group of people in your life that you lean on to help you get through this I am incredibly lucky to be surrounded by the women I I have in my life um, they are so giving uh, um, one of the women who has been particularly supportive actually lost her father um, 
when she was in her early 20s so she's very empathetic she's actually taken my children out for lunch just to check in on them mm -hmm. she is always there for me um, she just stepped up the other day and is always providing a meal when she knows it's been a tough day and um, she we don't even need to talk she just knows how hard it is um, I have another girlfriend who initially after his um, diagnosis would just sit in the car with me and let me cry Aww. I I just I'm so blessed I I can't tell you to be on the receiving end of all that um, love and support and compassion it, it's humbling it's it's so hard because I think we're usually used to being on the other end of the giving not the receiving and um I, I lose sleep over thinking, oh my gosh, I haven't written a thank you note to this person. Um, I, I just want people to know the depth of our gratitude for all the support they've given. And right now, um, you know, when you, before you and Jim go to bed and you're lying there, like, what are, what are some of the conversations you're having? Like you, you are, I can tell from, you know, just meeting you here for this first time that you are a tight knit family and you really value family. So you know, do you, what, what are some of the things that you talk about and prepare in preparation for loss? Do you know what we do? The last thing we do before we fall asleep is hold hands. Aww. And sometimes it's just the act of that, just knowing that we're there for one another mm -hmm. um, is all you need. Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes it's, you know, an act like that goes beyond the words. Mm -hmm. And so it is, I, I think for me, knowing um, the journey that Jim's, Jim's going through and the difficulty of it for him not to feel alone, mm -hmm. I think I will have no regrets. I feel I've been, um, or I've done everything I humanly can mm -hmm. to support him through those moments. That's probably one of the greatest gifts that you could give him is the gift of unconditional love and support. And to your point, because I think during this pandemic, you know, the people that I know that are really struggling are the people that are alone. Not nothing to do with mm -hmm. illness, just they're, they're alone. They don't have the support system because they don't have families here. They don't have children. And so that's, I can, yeah, I'm sure that that is just the greatest gift that. that it really can. is. And, and he is incredibly giving back. I mean, he, you know, he has maintained that he is still here today because he doesn't want us to be alone. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, you know, talking about a life of purpose, um, I think without purpose, um, life is meaningless. And so for him, it's his rally cry to keep going as long as he possibly can um, in a way that um, is positive and meaningful mm -hmm. for him. You know, one of the questions I often ask, which I'm not going to ask is, you know, what does the next 12 or 24 months look like? But after listening to <laughs> what you've just shared to me, you guys really take each day at a time and each day is such a gift. Absolutely. And I so to, to think of where you are in the next 12 to 24 months, it doesn't make sense because you're taking each day at a, at a time and making it the best day. Absolutely. And Tracy, what type of um, advice could you give for our listeners? Um that are you know going through something maybe not similar but um being a caregiver and a support to somebody close in their life whether it be a sibling um a parent a spouse is there you know if you could think of one piece of advice that you could give what would that be 
Don't be afraid to ask for help. Mm. There are so many supports out there. Um, I have spent a lot of time researching and seeking supports, um, not only for myself, but for the family. Um, and I have a tenacity that has um, served the family well, um, be it um, psychosocial supports, be it through dietitians, be it through um, uh, different organizations who support um, people as they struggle with health, different health issues. I have sought um, such a myriad of supports that have allowed us to remain as well as we are today. So just don't give up and ask for help. Um, people are willing to help. A lot of times I think people suffer in silence mm -hmm. and um, you don't need to. That is a, an amazing piece of advice. And I, I just the other day I offered someone help and when I offered it, I kind of thought they won't take it, but I hope they do. And I said to the person, look, I'm offering this to you because I want to do this for you. And so don't be afraid, like I'm a text away. I think that's brilliant. The other piece of advice I will give you, um, I had many offers of let me know if I can do something for you. It's very difficult to ask for that help. Mm -hmm. So um, what I have learned to do for others in a similar situation is say, I'm bringing you dinner on Thursday. Is that a good day? Pick a specific something. I am going to show up and shovel your walk when it snows next. I am going to grocery shop for you. What day works? So pick one thing and do it for them versus leaving the onus on them. Because you are so overwhelmed with every decision you have to make to have to make one more. Mm -hmm. And it's also, it's difficult to ask for help. It's it really pride. is. It is pride. Yeah. And so um, I would say pick something and do it. I, <laughs> I, I am friends with one woman who lost her husband. Um, and the neighbor said, well, what can I do? And she was staring at a dirty window. And she just said, can you come and wash my windows? <laughs> and because amazing. she couldn't come up with anything else. And so they showed up and cleaned her windows. Oh, my God. It was the one thing she was looking at, and that's probably all exactly. She, she was. On. She honestly could not come up with anything, oh. and so you know there was a bit of a giggle. Jim, when he went into the hospital last time, Jim had said, "All I want is a homemade baked chocolate chip cookie." But I was in a position of juggling so much at that time, and and wanting to be at the hospital with him, and I didn't have what I needed at home to make them, so. Someone texted me and said, what can I do? And I said, can you please make a homemade batch of chocolate chip cookies? And so she did. Oh, I love that. That's awesome. <laughs> and so I was able to come to the hospital the next day with Aww. homemade chocolate chip cookies. Those acts mean the world to you at that time mm -hmm. because it was something that Jim really wanted. And I just didn't at that point have the capacity to be able to do it. So it was so fabulous. And you knew it would make him happy, which makes you happy. Absolutely. Yeah. But you know what? That is amazing advice. Just do it. Pick a day. Say, yeah. this is when I'm showing up. This is when I'm dropping off, dropping, you know, dropping this off. That's a, I love that. Thank you. You're welcome. So we always like to bring a charity to spot to the spotlight, and you obviously have a charity that's near and dear to your heart. So please tell us the exact name of the charity and where do we find you? Um, I actually did bring something for you, so oh, you'll have the, the URL so you can actually put it up so people can find it wonderful. because it's, it's a long address. 
Um, so it is through the University of Calgary Cummings School of Medicine. It is called the Button Family Initiative for Pediatric Psychosocial Oncology and Survivorship. And um, essentially it is doing research to support children um, who are dealing with or have dealt with pediatric cancers. Um, it is to support them and their families through their journeys. Um, they recognize after dealing with pediatric cancer, if you are a survivor in particular, um, you have large gaps in your formal education, um, in your psychosocial development, you have complications as a result of treatments or surgeries um, that impact you so they are not on par with their peers in terms of hitting um, developmental milestones, um, graduation from high school, university, um, getting married, having families. So it's really trying to find um, or to do research to implement uh, supports and programming that will let them lead their best lives. That is a great initiative. Just listening to what you offer, we have a really good friend who their um, two, just over two-year-old daughter was just diagnosed with leukemia. Oh, I'm sorry. And uh, they've had a really hard go with um, infections and they've been back and forth to the children, sometimes staying there for three weeks. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, uh, thank you so much for for sharing that and we'll, we'll make sure that we can get that out. Thank you. We greatly appreciate it. And just lastly, Tracy, before we uh, say farewell, um, what have you vowed to yourself? What have you promised to yourself in life? Um, I, I think if you'd asked me that question, you know, seven years ago, it would have been a different answer. I think right now it is um, a drive to... Um, get over, get around, get under, get through any hurdle that's thrown in my way. Um, it's the resilience piece. It is, um, I don't know what tomorrow brings, but um, I sit very self-assured that I know I will be able to handle whatever is thrown in my way. Um, I, kn I know I will change after that, but it is that drive to... Um, not only be as well as I possibly can be and as whole as I possibly can be, but to ensure that um, my nuclear family is living to the best of their abilities. Mm. I can sit here, I have tears in my eyes because I can feel that from you just sitting here. And I wholeheartedly believe that um, that is your vow and that will be successful. You are a a woman of strength, and I'm so honored, um, Tracy, that you came in today to share your story. As we <laughs> now here. you've got tears, me going. <laughs> tears in my eyes. I just think of, you know, and it, and I don't think it's something that you wake up seven years ago and say, I'm going to be strong for the next seven years. You know, it's, um, you, you are getting through this, and you're getting through it with grace and poise and elegance, and, um, I'm just honored that you're here today, and I know that our, our listeners will um, just thoroughly enjoy your story. It's very uplifting, and I wish you and, and Jim and your kids just all the best 
and um, thank you for being here. And thank you for your interest. I'm, I'm hoping that we can help others on the same journey. And you will. And, and a part of um, helping others is the vulnerability piece and the sharing. And I, I'm just so thankful that um, you're here and that you're able to share and willing to share your story because it's not an easy thing to talk about. So thank Absolutely. You. Well, it's my pleasure. Thank you, Tracy. Take care. We truly hope that you've enjoyed today's speaker. We hope that they've inspired you, made you think outside the box, and given you some points that you can apply to your everyday lives. Please subscribe to our podcast, rate us. If there's any suggestions you can make or feedback, we would love to hear from you. Thanks for tuning in.